Revolution with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. And welcome to the latest episode of the Robots Podcast. I am Jana, and today we'll be discussing evolutionary robotics with Guido de Kroon from Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands. Evolutionary robotics is an approach that uses computation to develop controllers for robots that need to act with a high degree of autonomy. This method can enable robots with few sensors and limited processing capacity to take on even complex tasks. So they can, for example, enable a drone to find and fly through a window, as shown by a team at TU Delft in their recent publication. Our interviewer, Abate de May, spoke to Guido de Kroon, assistant professor at the Microair Vehicle Lab at TU Delft and an expert in artificial intelligence for small autonomous robots. They discussed his team's work on the application of evolutionary robotics frameworks for developing robot behaviors. Hello, welcome to the Robots Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm uh, Hiro de Kroon, and I'm assistant professor in the Micro Air Vehicle Lab of uh, TU Delft in the Netherlands. And I work on the artificial intelligence of uh, tiny robots. I know that you do some work with evolutionary robotics as well. Can you please explain what are evolutionary robotics and what are some real-world applications of them? Yeah, so uh, evolutionary robotics uh, is actually uh, the domain in which we uh, chase the following dream. So uh, we would like to, uh, as a robotics uh, researcher or designer, we would like to uh, have a general method that if we're given a task for a robot that as a designer we only need to come up with a fitness function so a way of saying how good the robot is doing the task and that then there's an artificial uh, evolutionary process that uh, that takes over the design work and evolves actually uh, the robot so the body and the sensors and the actuators and the controller to uh, to do this task so what are some things that you optimize using evolutionary robotics tactics? Yeah, so uh, typically it's a, it's a task that you, that you want uh, the robot uh, to do. So uh, then you, uh, you come up with a, a fitness function for that, which is actually a, a very difficult part of uh, evolutionary robotics. And so in the last few years, uh, we've also seen uh, some special fitness functions like uh, rewarding robots to do novel stuff all the time. And so uh, they call this novelty search. But uh, in my case, uh, I've been uh, evolving robots to do different tasks, such as finding odor sources. Or recently, uh, I've been evolving a small robot to perform the task of flying in a room, avoiding obstacles, finding a window, and flying through the window. What are some uh, limitations of evolutionary robotics? So um, I don't think there are fundamental limitations to evolutionary robotics. 
Um, because, yeah, uh, probably we will have technologies in the end to perform an actual evolution uh, with it. But, uh, yeah, currently I would say uh, there, are, there are a few. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the major limitation at the moment is that, uh, yeah, if you want to do evolution on real robots, then uh, it will take, uh, yeah, it will happen in real time. And it means that it uh, it can actually take a very long time. I mean, in the worst case, it really takes as long as a real evolution. So you can imagine that, uh, especially if we want the complex robots to do a complex task, then uh, this may take uh, a really long time. And that's why most people uh, in evolutionary robotics, they evolve uh, robots in simulation. And so you have a simulation with your robot in it and uh, the task that it has to do. And then you can run thousands uh, of, yeah, you can test out thousands of what we call individuals, so uh, different robot solutions. And uh, you can have the best ones uh, procreate and create offspring. But then at the end of this artificial evolutionary process in simulation, you need to yeah, transfer the best solution to the, to the real world. And um, yeah, this, this is a very, very difficult step because yeah, simulation goes so fast also because you don't model everything that's happening in the real world. And uh, the real robot you use is typically different than the one uh, that was used in simulation. So yeah, this is a, this is a huge challenge. And uh, this difference between the simulation and reality in the field of evolutionary robotics is called the reality gap. And uh, crossing the reality gap is one of the major challenges uh, at the moment. And yeah, the second limitation perhaps that's there also currently is that the complexity of the tasks that are performed uh, is pretty limited. So you have really quite some studies on yeah, finding a light or uh, avoiding obstacles. So um, things that can be done really with very simple controllers. And uh, the question is how well the approach scales also to, to more complex problems. So uh, finding odor sources in turbulent conditions uh, or uh, yeah, really navigating in an environment, being able to uh, find something and then return to the, the home location and things like that. What are some tactics you use to overcome the reality gap? Yeah, so um, there are different tactics to do that that have been developed by uh, different groups. So uh, one way is to do an evolution in, uh, in simulation, then take the solution and continue the evolution on the real robot. And so you, you perform a lot of the evolution in simulation and then you just perform some final adaptation uh, on the platform. Still, yeah, uh, the real robot may be quite different, so it may still take quite some generations before you get that uh, right solution. So... This way of handling the reality gap uh, still, still requires uh, quite a long time. There are other ways. So uh, there are ways in which um, the mismatch between simulation and reality is modeled during evolution. So what they do then is uh, uh, once in every uh, something generation, so for example, once in every hundred generations, they try out an individual on, uh, on the real robot. 
and then they uh, they take the difference in the performance and they try to model this in the simulation. They try to adapt the simulation and predict if uh, solutions will work in the real world. And so that's another approach. Um, I, I think that the final approach, which uh, may be very successful, is to combine evolutionary learning, which is a pretty slow process, with uh, developmental uh, capabilities. And so they call this EVO-DEVO, and uh, means that you, you evolve the robot and its controller, but you also evolve adaptive mechanisms that will allow the robot to also learn uh, online, so during uh, operation. Have you implemented uh, EVO-DEVO before in a project? Uh, yes, <laughs> some while ago, but uh, until now, it's uh, yeah, it's it's generally acknowledged. Let's say that uh, this will be important, but the the golden bullet there has not been discovered yet. So uh, yeah, but I I do think that towards the future this is uh, very promising, and um, yeah, the question why not is perhaps a, a good one as well. So why why didn't we <laughs> try that yet? So also because the learning mechanism has to be really fast. And so in my case, I uh, I focus on robots such as uh, small flying robots and. Uh, Suppose that you combine evolutionary learning with reinforcement learning, then uh, still the robot will have to do some reinforcement learning. And uh, also this, yeah, reinforcement learning itself can take quite some time. It involves risk for the robot. So then, yeah, you don't really solve uh, your problem. So it's uh, you really need to find the right combinations of uh, developmental algorithms and evolutionary algorithms. Okay. Could you tell us about a project where you have implemented evolutionary robotics? Yes. So I've uh, implemented uh, evolutionary robotics in quite a few projects. But uh, I think one of the ones that's perhaps uh, a very good example is uh, recently we implemented evolutionary robotics for our tiny uh, flying robot called the Delphi Explorer. And this is a, a dragonfly-like robot, and it weighs 20 grams. And in those 20 grams, uh, we have a stereo vision system, so two cameras and a, a small processor, with which the the Delphi can see obstacles and can do obstacle avoidance. And now we developed this Delphi Explorer uh, a few years ago, and uh, at the time we showed that it could avoid obstacles and fly around completely by itself, so without any human intervention or without any off-board computer. And uh, our PhD student, Shur Taimons, he, he made a, yeah, what I think is a very elegant uh, uh, algorithm to control the robot. And the, the main idea behind the algorithm is that uh, the Delphi uh, always keeps a space in front of it, a free space, large enough to make a turnaround uh, maneuver. So if it sees an obstacle coming into this zone, it will do this uh, prefix maneuver. And so it will always turn in front of the obstacle and then it can circle as long as it wants until it finds a new uh, flight direction. And yeah, this I think uh, can be compared a bit with uh, 
some yeah insect behaviors that you see in nature and uh, we were of course very happy with it but then we thought okay now we want to do another task so we wanted for example our Dell fly to fly through a window to fly in a room find a window and fly through it do we then have to search another short <laughs> another PhD student again to, to come up with another uh, very nice algorithm uh, yeah the answer actually is no I mean it would be great if we can give this uh, task to an evolutionary process and that this evolutionary process finds a solution that's not only effective and robust, but also as computationally as efficient as uh, the solution we found ourselves for obstacle avoidance. And, um, yeah, and this is very important for, for example, these small flying robots because the, the processor that we have on board it's uh, yeah. It's it, for example, it has only 192 kilobytes of memory, and, and the nice thing about evolutionary robotics is that you can, on forehand, uh, define uh, the structure that evolution has to evolve, and uh, and you can ensure that it's computationally efficient enough, and if it then finds a solution, then it fits within the constraints of the onboard platform, and this project we did uh, last year and. It gave us really some insight into this matter and into how to cross the reality gap. How successful was the Delphi, which was optimized with the evolutionary robotics framework, at flying through the window? Yeah, so that's, uh, of course, uh, the, the most important question. So the approach we took is quite different than uh, from uh, what is typically done in evolutionary robotics. So in evolutionary robotics, it's, uh, of course, yeah, bio-inspired, uh, inspired by natural evolution. But this also typically implies that uh, neural networks are used as the robot controller because this is also bio-inspired, it's parallel. Of course, neural networks uh, are very capable, uh, especially also the deep neural networks. But um, the problem of neural networks in evolutionary robotics is that... Um, it's pretty hard to understand what uh, evolution came up with. And uh, I'm not saying it's impossible, not at all, because uh, for multiple tasks, I've evolved uh, neural networks, uh, for example, also for odor source finding. And um, when you do that, afterwards you can study it. You have the neural network, so you can, for example, you can clamp neurons to a certain value, or you can influence the inputs that the robots has, and you can analyze what happens then to the actions and actually you can you can understand what it's doing what the strategy is and um, when I was doing a study on odor source localization I had robots uh, in simulation uh, performing really well and uh, I tried to understand the networks and then I was like okay when when can you say that you really understand it and uh, in order to test whether I understood the strategy I re-implemented the, the strategy that evolution found uh, in the neural network and I re-implemented it as a finite state machine. And then I ran the finite state machine and it got uh, a similar performance as the original robot. And then I thought, but hey, this finite state machine, if you look at it, you, you understand immediately what the robot is doing. And uh, suppose that you uh, have this type of controller and you, uh, you put it on a real robot, if something is not working correctly, then you can probably understand what is going wrong and adapt it yourself. 
And that's why uh, when we uh, wanted to evolve a controller for the for the real Delphi, uh, we took a similar kind of controller. But instead of a finite state machine, uh, we took a behavior tree. And a behavior tree is, uh, is a controller that uh, is used a lot in the gaming industry because it's pretty intuitive. And uh, in comparison with finite state machines, it uh, it does not have uh, this yeah what we call a state explosion. So uh, when you add complexity to the controller, uh, it doesn't immediately uh, lead to a huge explosion of the of the controller structure. And so with the behavior tree, you can solve complex problems, and the controller will still look pretty uh, compressed, so pretty small. So in our case, for the Delphi flying through the window. We evolved these behavior trees, and uh, Evolution came up with a very elegant solution that was smaller than the, the hand-designed one that we made ourselves, and that had a higher success rate in, uh, in simulation. And then, of course, the question was, if we have this behavior tree, can we now understand it? And will this help us if we go to the real world? So uh, we took the controller from simulation, we put it uh, into the real Delphi, and of course, the first time we flew it, or the first few times, it would just crash into the wall. <laughs> and so that was not very nice. But uh, since we could yeah, easily see uh, in what part of the tree it was active, uh, we could easily adapt some parameters in the behavior tree to really uh, boost the performance and get it more similar to the, the simulation uh, performance. But your original question was, how successful was it? Well, in simulation, it would get through the window 90% of the time. And after tuning it on the real robot, it only flew through uh, 53% of the time, or 55. Okay, don't shoot me about uh, the exact number. But uh, that's, of course, much, much lower and, and really not satisfactory. And uh, the reason was that um, the, the robot, which was evolved in simulation, um, would let's say, take a bit more risk. It would fly very close to the window border, which in simulation didn't matter. But in the real world, and we were testing, I mean, we were testing in a pretty artificial environment. So a small room that we built indoors uh, with a window in it. And uh, it turned out that even in this indoor space, there were drafts. And these drafts were coming through the window and they were pushing the Delphi away from the window, basically. And if you then have a risky strategy of going a bit close to the border and you're pushed away by the, by the draft, then uh, you actually hit the, the window border a bit more often than in uh, simulation. So it taught us, yes, uh, these behavior trees, uh, they're easier to understand. You can then manually adapt them uh, for the real robot, but it doesn't solve the reality gap uh, completely which, of course, uh, would have been almost uh, too easy, of course, if that would have been the case. Um, because yeah, the robot exploited the fact that there was no wind in the simulation environment. And uh, currently, we, we added, of course, wind to the simulation environment, and we're re-evolving and seeing uh, how that goes. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not the full answer to this uh, problem, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, it is a very uh, promising step. Mm-hmm. How adaptable would the controller that you created through uh, Evolution with Evolutionary Robotics 
be to a room with different uh, parameters, different dimensions? Yeah, so that's also a, a very good question. So, so partly, um, let's say partly a different room would be no problem. And so, for example, uh, uh, our uh, Delphi uses stereo vision. So if you change the texture in the room, it would be okay. If you would make the walls completely textureless, that could be a problem, actually. And so uh, then you would need uh, other visual inputs, for example. And uh, in the specific article that, uh, that we uh, wrote on this study, we only used one size of room. So I think it was square, and, uh, and then it would fly through the window. And yeah, one of the pitfalls of evolutionary robotics is that uh, the solution that you evolve in simulation will exploit everything it can from that environment. So if you only evolve in a square room, then it's possible that it will generalize to rectangular rooms, but it's also possible that your solution will be less good. And uh, so you have, yeah, you have to vary then the parameters in simulation that you think will vary in reality. And uh, that's, uh, by the way, another thing that we're doing at the moment uh, for this task. But uh, I, th I think that there's hardly hardly an answer to that because, uh, yeah, I think the real answer would be to have uh, the robot uh, also develop by itself in the real world afterwards um, because, yeah, th there are still a few other strategies. So, for example... One of the problems we had uh, in this first study was that uh, in simulation uh, we had to, the robot just set a, a, a rudder command. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, an aileron command. So that means that uh, it would directly set the ailerons of the of the robot. And uh, if you do that in real life, then this never gives the same result because. For example, uh, yeah, ailerons are like uh, little things behind the wings that make it turn around, uh, yeah, that make it change heading. And uh, these ailerons on the real robot are already a bit asymmetric, for example. And so in simulation, we, we didn't have a, a very accurate model, not at all, <laughs> of the of the Delphi. And uh, so if you would give an input of plus one, it would turn for example, uh, with, uh, I don't know, some degrees per second to the right, and uh, minus one would be the exact opposite reaction. In reality, this is not the case. It will turn perhaps easier to the right and to the left, and uh, it can even depend on environmental conditions, whether it's really turning with, uh, I don't know, 10 degrees per second or not. And uh, so one of the things we did now as well is to, uh, to abstract away from those very low-level commands and to take a bit a higher level. Uh, so the robot now sets, for example, a turn rate and has a lower level uh, controller that can uh, actually execute this turn rate. And in that sense, you also yeah, narrow the reality gap. And uh, so we're searching through all these kinds of possibilities and, uh, and see how far we will get with that. What are the largest hurdles that evolutionary robotics has to overcome to have widespread usage? Yeah, so uh, I think one is this reality gap that uh, I've been talking about. Uh, because, um, yeah, 
one of the main reasons to use evolutionary robotics, especially for, for, for example, for small robots, is uh, that with very limited resources, computational, sensory, uh, you're still able to perform uh, complex tasks. Now, the way in which they do this is uh, typically pretty ingenious. And so, for example, you were talking about this odor source uh, localization. Well, if you think about fruit flies in your kitchen, they always find, uh, well, at least in my kitchen, they do, they always find the bananas or the apples, <laughs> especially in the summer, they, uh, they really invade my kitchen. So, and they solve this problem of finding the banana, mostly by using the scent. And um, when you look at roboticists, then some of the robotic solutions are pretty complex. So what they do is, for example, uh, they in the robot, the robot in its mind, it can simulate how odor spreads through turbulent air. And when it smells some odor, it will run some probabilistic dynamical model to see what the highest probabilities in its environment are to contain the source of the odor. It has one approach, and it's computationally very complex. Now, if you look at uh, fruit flies, then uh, they actually just alternate between two behaviors. So if they don't smell any odor, they will do casting, which means that they fly orthogonal to the wind. And if they do then uh, smell something, then they will start surging, which means that they move upwind. And when they lose the odor again, they will start casting again. And uh, this is, of course, a very rough description of their behavior. But by alternating between these two behaviors, in the end, they find uh, the fruit. And uh, they do this in a computationally efficient way. Now, what we want with evolutionary robotics is to, for any given task, for any given robot, to be able to find such very smart uh, strategies that work for the particular robots. And uh, so if you want... Uh, evolutionary robotics to be widely used, it really needs to work on the real robots. You need to cross the reality gap. And the challenge then is not only to cross it, but uh, to cross it and still keep this ability for uh, finding these elegant yeah, sensory motor uh, solutions. And uh, so that's one large hurdle. And I think the second hurdle, I think I also mentioned it, but uh, the complexity of the tasks. So how... It's, of course, nice to have a, a robot that goes around and avoids obstacles. But uh, how can we evolve robots to do all kinds of tasks eh, in which the robot, uh, for example, uh, has to uh, fly around in a greenhouse, uh, has to deposit uh, some larvae on, on plants or something, uh, in the same time look for ripe fruit, come back to its nest to recharge, uh, uh, collaborate with uh, the other uh, drones in the greenhouse in order not to fly in each other's way and to effectively cover all the area in the greenhouse. So uh, how do you use an evolutionary algorithm to come at such a complex solution? And uh, I think also this is a huge challenge. We, at the moment, we're, we're looking at these behavior trees uh, also for this reason, because uh, behavior trees, they allow uh, for... Yeah, certain sub-behaviors to be very easily reused as a sub-behavior in another behavior tree. Um, but, okay, I don't know if this, uh, this of course, will be uh, a step uh, towards uh, such a solution. But I think that's, uh, that's a large hurdle as well. Because, yeah, if you want it to be widespread, it needs to work on the actual robots. And 
the robots need to do uh, useful and sometimes complex tasks. Are evolutionary algorithms a one-size-fits-all strategy for creating robot behaviors? Um, not yet, but uh, that's the dream uh, a bit. <laughs> so we're trying to replace ourselves <laughs> as roboticists. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's a dream that you can really uh, give us a task, and uh, we just put the same evolutionary algorithm at work. It would be great, of course, in the future if uh, if you can evolve both the body and the the sensors and the actuators and the brain to come up with the the ideal solution for this task. How can our listeners learn more about evolutionary robotics? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. Um, there, there is a book that was written, uh, but it's already some while ago, by uh, Stefano Nolfi and uh, Dario Floriano. And they talk uh, about uh, the, um, a bit the earlier work in this area. But uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's really some exciting work going on at the moment as well in uh, evolutionary robotics. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, the book is perhaps a good starting point, but uh, more recent work, yeah, I would say Google is your friend. Um, Well, thank you very much for coming in today and discussing evolutionary robotics with us, Guido. Yeah, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. And that's it for today. As always, you can find more information about today's episode and all our past episodes on robohub.org, where you'll also find lots more robotics news and features. Our next episode will air in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Evolution with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.